electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Dee, thanks very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. A question many investors are asking these days, is it time to be less bearish stocks, given the strong start of the year? We debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Joe Terranova, Josh Brown, everybody's at the table. Good to see all of you. And you as well. Let's check the markets. We're just past 12 noon. The NASDAQ is the story of late. As you know, it's trying for seven days up. That'd be the best streak since November of 21. It's up nine points or so right now. Dow's down, and that's a big weight from Goldman Sachs. You know about that by now. We're going to get to that in a bit. You're going to hear from a committee member who owns that stock, who has told you what to do with it. Now they're going to weigh in on what they think given the big slide there. Let's begin, though, with where the prior show Joe left off, okay? You just heard from the analyst who cut Microsoft. Mm -hmm. It's significant. It's a sell call, okay? More significant, I think, because of you, because you made it one of your stock summit picks as Microsoft. Uh, It gets cut to sell. Consensus, Azure growth, that's the cloud. Uh, They say they're at risk. Price target initiated at 212. It's It's kind of a broad software call, but their whole point is nobody's immune. Not even Microsoft, the alleged best of the best, the top dog, the head of the class. Mm-hmm. What's the story here? The cream of the crop. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. The top Anymore? gun. The top gun. Ahead, the best yeah. of the best. Prolonged macro. Top of the heap, A eh, number one. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Prolonged macro downturn. The, those were the words that, that I heard from the analyst, and I respect what the analyst is, is presenting in his scenario. But I, I don't like when you speak specifically about a stock that you are assigning a a rating or a price target based on what the macro is going to do. Because what do you have to do in that situation? You have to be right twice. You have to be right about the company, and then you have to be right about the macro. Do you? Well, overall. if you're right about the macro, you're going to be right about the company stock, aren't Not you? Not necessarily. There are companies. I mean, if you could, you could go back and, and look at uh, the environment of 2022, and you could look at some healthcare names. You could look at McDonald's. You could look at other names where there was resiliency. I'm not saying that's the case in Microsoft, but I don't like assigning a prolonged macro downturn to the reasoning why you're going to downgrade Microsoft. Now, let me just speak directly to my personal ownership of it, my suggestion of it in the stock summit. Got it. I think on December 31st of 2023, when you reflect back, I think that Microsoft will have served you well if you invest in the company. Understand that I run a strategy that's based on what your balance sheet looks like and what's your momentum in the market. And I've said this over the last several weeks. When I look at Apple, when I look at Microsoft, when I look at Tesla, it is very obvious that they have lost their momentum. So decisions could be made in the coming quarters where the strategy moves out of those names or moves out of them and back into them again. That's something that was done in Apple last year. So there is that active element to the ownership of the mega caps 
I want to be clear on that. That could unfold here in coming quarters. I understand, but you picked this as one of your stock because summit I'm, picks I do, with the because idea I th- that it was going to be a worker I think in 2023. The, I think at the end of the race, this is a company that pays you to wait in terms of buying back shares, in terms of delivering on the dividend. I still think the Azure growth is going to be enough or at least reach a moment where if there is a contraction, it's going to recover. And then the last point on all of it, and I think it speaks to the market, volatility has come down significantly. There's this calmness in the market that mm. I don't think we felt in VIX many 19 months. and a half. There's this overall odd calmness to the market right now. And I think that coming into the year, there was overwhelming, overwhelming bearishness and it was reflected in positioning. And I don't know how you justify that right now. I'm not saying you get extensively bullish, but that overwhelming pessimism, you got to wash some of that away. Well, that's why I asked the question, Steph, at the very top. Is it time to be less bearish? Right. Bank of America's fund survey today says we're less bearish. We're still bearish, but a lot less bearish than we were in the fourth quarter of last year. They got the biggest underweight, at least from their fund manager survey, reveals the biggest underweight of U.S. stocks since October of 05. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like. I've gotten a little bit more positive in the last couple of months. And I know you and I talked on OT last week that I felt a little bit better about the global situation. Yeah. Right? Because you haven't sounded really that positive well, that when a, we've spoken. A little bit more, a little more balance, right? I mean, if you think about it, everyone was calling, myself included, a European recession. Numbers are getting revised higher. Did you see those German, Germany and the, um, the uh, Eurozone, the ZW, ZEW uh, stat, which is just sentiment data? It came in way better than expected, much more positive. The BOJ is revising their economic data higher than expected. China is reopening. That could be a huge tailwind. I don't think it's getting a lot of credit. I know they've got to prove a lot for sure. But then you come to the U.S. and the U.S. is actually not doing that bad, especially on the consumer side. And that's because we have this crazy strong job market. Wages are going higher. And now inflation is coming down. Costs are coming down. That's very positive. Consumer 70 percent of our economy. I'm not saying we're not going to slow down. We're going to slow down for sure, for sure. But maybe we can handle these things. And maybe just maybe earnings, which is expected to be down 4.1 percent this quarter alone, maybe they're going to be better than expected. And if I, you know, if I have to just give you my assessment on the banks, and I know we're going to talk about the banks, but I actually thought the numbers were better than expected, better than feared. So I kind of feel a little bit better about the overall economy. Uh, we'll have to watch because the data points really are quite mixed. I just want to ask, though, Joe, one question. How do you get Microsoft, how do you get comfortable with 25 times forward estimates and 92% of the sell side have buys on this thing? So the premium valuation that Microsoft carries and to a certain extent Apple still carries, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I, I think what you're going to find in 2023 that that valuation is justified. Now, you could say, OK, I disagree with that, but it's, it's more an opinion of everything. But I think it's reflective of the macro environment, right? Mm-hmm. Steph, if the macro environment is more resilient than we expect, then I think those companies deserve that premium valuation. Mm-hmm. I think they'll maintain it. Josh, so hey, 4,000 is pretty good resistance on the S&P. I think we're finding that out uh, time and again. Yeah. Got a blip above it about an hour and a half ago, and then we dropped right below it. So is it time to be less bearish or not? I'd be more concerned with, uh, you mentioned the VIX, an 18 and a half, 19 VIX. Yeah, 19 and a half today. Is not the spot where you're adding new names or trying to take more risk or looking for the stocks that just went up 20% off their lows and thinking this is a breakout. That's not what you're doing here. Why not? Because it's it's not working. It's not going to work this time. Hasn't worked in 13 months. So I'll tell you when that's invalidated. 
by price action, and then we'll have a different conversation. Okay. But here's the thing. I understand why we had a vol smash. A lot of people were looking for fireworks that just never ended up materializing in the last round of inflation data. Um, and they're not probably not going to get it. So now we're in a situation where we know definitively um, goods inflation is transitory and has now transitoried out of our lives. That part is over. The sticky part, we'll probably be fighting it all year, the labor market, uh, shelter, et cetera. Everyone is aware of that. But even that data is starting to move in the right direction. And now you have price action. You say, you say, ask like, why is all of a sudden everyone feeling better or why is sentiment shifting? Because price is what shifts sentiment. So listen to me now. The S&P 500 just moved above its 50-day for the first time in five weeks. It's above its 200-day for the first time since Thanksgiving. The problem is people don't want to get fooled again. And if you bought that vol smash lower uh, at the end of Thanksgiving and you got pulled up, well, December was horrific. So people are looking at that and saying, okay, we're right back to the same spot, both in S&P 500 index price and in volatility. And now all of a sudden, nine of 11 sectors are above their 50-day. A lot of stocks look good again, right? We've had names like Amazon that had really no bounce for a year, have big bounces. 15% Amazon, since but you the, mentioned but it, the since danger, the start of the year. But the danger for, for people that have a, I don't even want to say a long memory, People that have a six-week-long memory, um, the danger is, oh, here we go again. It, it's I, like it feels good again. That's the problem. So it makes sense that we're going to pause here. But I want to say one thing about earnings. You have 29 companies reporting in the S&P so far. And of those 29, 23 of them had, a, had an upside earnings surprise. That's about 80%. I know it's early. That's a good trend. Revenue beat about 69%. I know it's early. That's about in line with historical average. Um, we know that earnings came, uh, uh, are going to be down. Negative 3.9% is the expectation for this entire earnings season, according to FactSet. Um, that's really not a great quarter, but not disastrous. And if we have a beat rate consistent with what we've seen from the first, let's call it 8% of the index, uh, I think where we are right now is okay. It's enough for the market to uh, tread water and it's enough for these underlying rotations to keep us somewhat buoyant. Do you that's think, where I am. You think we're still in a sell the rip, so to speak, I rally rather than the, the buy the dip? Because that's what J.P. Morgan's talking about. They, they think that you should sell the gains, and think, that they the believe news, that the, the rally is going to start fading as we move through the So quarter. I think the economic news just gets worse. I think it deteriorates. Like I think we're going to see that. In manufacturing surveys, we're going to see, continue to see that in housing. I think we're just going to – but it's not like uh, 2008. So maybe the smartest thing to do is what's already been working, which is pick your spots, have your stocks, have your exposure that you want. And when you get into a situation where they crush the VIX and things start feeling really good again, instead of reaching for that 30th stock in your portfolio, maybe chop yourself back down from 29 stocks to 27. Like maybe just that kind of mentality is what you need to get through this year. Steph, what's been working thus far this year was not what worked last year. No. And that's led to some confusion from investors about, okay, is it, is it meaningful, this, this switch? Is it reversion just to the mean? Does it not really mean anything like I think it might? 
I think it is a little bit of reversion to the mean, right? It's definitely been It's definitely been growth over value, and value worked last year, right, um, by over 1,000 base to 10,000 basis points. So it was really um, a remarkable year last year. I, I don't think that with the Fed staying t- uh, tighter, hawkish for longer mm-hmm. and rates being higher for longer, I think that's hard for the growth trade. I really do. That's why I asked Joe about the 25 multiple. Well, that's why Microsoft. I asked Joe about Microsoft when he picked it. I know. Well, but you can't just, you did. so you, you just dispose of all growth. I just don't agree with that. No, I, no, I'm not I don't saying think, dispose I don't think it's, of all it's, growth. It's binary. It's not like value or growth. Well, it's, last year it was. Last year it absolutely okay. was value over growth. I, I understand that, but I'm talking about constructing a portfolio. I, oh. I don't think you just want to gear a portfolio strictly towards all value names, strictly towards growth names. I, you see, I think the environment right now, there has been a little bit of a shift, okay? The shift, the conversation at the end of December was whether you should invest. That actually was the conversation. Now That's it's right, how, a run for the hills. Okay, but now it's how should you invest. I, I think overall the market's not going anywhere. I think if you look at the indexes. Well, you and David Costin. I don't think the market goes anywhere. That's what Goldman's Costin says today, right? Zero percent return at the end of 2023. Okay, so how so do 4, I create, that's, how that's do you create right in that environment? That's, that's ultimately what it comes down from. Is Microsoft going to deliver you alpha in that I, environment? As I said, at the end of this year, I think you're going to look back and see that it has. In between that, what's, what's the thing you always talk about? The dog walking in the park and, and going in different directions, right? Yeah. I think there are times that throughout the year, you could find that Microsoft is suggested to move to the sidelines. I just don't think and you'll you see need that to reflected own, in, my, I, in the strategy. I just don't think you need to own high multiple stocks, period. When the, when the, when the Fed is doing what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like that's going to be hard for long duration assets. So you'd and rather own 25 the, I agree times. with that. By the and way, look, I agree with that. And, and, and look, I'm not saying 100% value. Right. I think this year is definitely a little bit more balanced than last year, mm-hmm. right? But I see compelling value in, I still see it in energy and in materials. Industrials? Industrials. Like Caterpillar? I I do, because they have pricing power and their input costs are coming down. And it's a story that's changing in terms of, yeah, okay, they need top line, they need demand, but the margin story is so compelling to me. So, look, the stock is on a, has been on a tear. It could sell off into earnings, but I like – there are certain names in this, in this market that I like a lot, a lot more than high multiple tech. And, by the way, I, you know I've been adding to tech. I in understand, terms of but it's – semis it's, and semi-cap equipment. That's where I think you have better value. I feel like it's interesting. Dividend aristocrats, dividend aristocrats are the right place to be. This, this, uh, this, count, this counter trend bounce in stocks where the tax law selling stopped – and maybe had a break from from uh, negative momentum is great. I think it's really good for the market that in the Russell 1000, you don't have 90 percent of stocks below their 50 day. I think it's constructive that you got bounces. But that's counter trend. The big picture is, I, my opinion, companies that pay dividends, companies with great cash flow, quality balance sheets, um, international stocks, international value in particular. This is where the puck has been headed already, and I think it will continue. Why do we all of a sudden want to call an end to something that is very obviously the predominant trend just because of, like, seven great days for penny stocks and Bitcoin? Let's all relax. The big picture is investors in a rising rate environment with a sort of not quite sure picture on the economy going forward are going to select for quality and cash flow and dividends. They do it every time. This time will not be different. The playbook works. 
Don't try to be a hero and don't try to anticipate the move after the move. There will be time for the move after the move. Right now, the move is keep yourself calm and, and stick with what's working. Right. So the trend, is, the trend is clear then. Visa, MasterCard, mm-hmm. Texas Instruments, three companies, exactly how Josh is describing them. And now to Steph's point on growth and talking about a, a multiple, the multiple is a little bit more expensive than the market is for sure. Certainly in the case of Visa and MasterCard. But I'm willing, I'm willing to accept that premium because they have what Josh is describing. I just find it interesting that Steph refers to now stocks like Microsoft as quote unquote high multiple tech. Well, it is expensive. It always has been expensive. I mean, it's right. But you know what high multiple tech was last year. Of course. It wasn't Microsoft or Apple or any of those names. These were always expensive. They were higher than the market multiple, but not high multiple. Those were the ones that got smoked. The market is trading at 15, 16, 17 times, and this thing is trading at 25. And all the other ones, Amazon is trading at 65 times. I mean, come on. Judge, people always take things too far. Do Do you understand that Bed Bath & Beyond doubled this year? Doubled. They were talking about filing for bankruptcy, and then the stock doubled. Like everyone takes everything too far. When when things like when when you have a start to the year like this, where we all take a collective breath and people just like rethink some of their bearishness about some of the stuff that killed them last year, or people ran out ran out of stock to sell, or people lost their passwords to Coinbase, and like whatever reason that the, the selling stopped. That's all it is. It's a pause in the selling. But you could get huge outside, outsized moves when you have a lot of money short and you just have that absence of sellers. That's the only thing we've, saw, we've seen. And when this fades away, which I think it will, we will be right back to what had, had been working for the last six to nine months. And I really think people shouldn't read too much into the first week or two of January. So let's let's hit Disney if we could. I want to hit a couple of things before we take our first break. And I want to do Disney. Steph is here, obviously, owns the stock. OK, mm-hmm. we talked about, you know, last week when it was revealed you're going to have a fight between Pelts and, and Disney. And you said as a holder of shares that you would vote for Pelts. Mm-hmm. Right. We discussed this on on overtime. Mm-hmm. So Disney's firing back today. They say that Pelts lacks the skills. These are the words that they've used in, in their filing and, and all of that today. They, he lacks the skills to assist the board, doesn't understand Disney's business, presented us with no strategy, no new ideas or a plan, uh, hasn't actually presented a single strategic idea for Disney, oblivious to secular change happening in media. Um, and they also sort of take issue with his characterization of total shareholder return basically that a time frame that they suggest is not the right time frame to use, which Peltz did to suggest that the total shareholder return wasn't as good as they suggested. It gave them it was. 10 years, one, three, five, 10 years. They've underperformed the overall market. So, so there, it, there's that. Um, right. They, they use the fact 30 years. They, they, they use the market. All right, I'm just saying he said 10, right? So right. it's fine. Right. They Whatever. use the they they come back today and yeah. say, you know, judge it from when Iger was named CEO right. to when he he stepped down. Um, the bottom line is um, this is going to go alleged. I mean, theoretically, to the distance, to a fight, a vote, right, unless there's a settlement. I hope he wins. I think he has a great track record. And when you have so many things to fix that Disney has, why wouldn't you want somebody else to come in with a fresh set of eyes to help in that process, right? I mean, DTC is going to lose $15 billion until 2024, right? They have all kinds of content problems, pricing problems at the parks. So there's a lot that they have to fix, not to mention costs. That's GNA. It's up 85% in 2018. 85%. So there's a lot that I think Iger and team can do, and that was one of the reasons why I bought it 
when he actually came back to the company. Well, I was going to say, if they have but, all, if they have quote all kinds of problems, they do. Why do you own the stock? Because I think they can fix them over time. Well, why wouldn't you want pelts in there helping you along the way? You think they can fix it without pelts? Yeah, I do. But I, I think they can fix it quicker with pelts for sure. If you have if, a little pressure if from he, shareholders. If he loses the vote, if it goes the distance and it, and it happens, will you stay in the stock? I will. Here's um, the, the anti-pelts case very quickly. Um, is that in 2009, Disney paid $4 billion for Marvel. That was in the midst of a really bad economy. And if you go back and look at the commentary from that time, people were like in shock. That ended up being one of the most transformative uh, media acquisitions in the history of of media. Um, But it's hard for me to picture uh, an activist being in the stock and, and seeing a deal like that and not weighing in against it. They followed it up three years later, another $4 billion deal to buy Star Wars. And that one, there was a little bit of less skepticism because they they already proven what they were able to do with content like Marvel. But there was still a lot of skepticism. Why is he handing George Lucas $4 billion? Again, turned out in hindsight to have been an incredible. Let's say he wants to take a run at WWE, which is for sale right now, Iger. Let's say he wants to take a run at one of these other uh, stupid little streaming platforms, and there are way too many of them. Um, is he going to be able to do that with an activist breathing down his neck? That's the, that's the question for Disney shareholders. Stephanie, I'd love to hear your take on this. First and foremost, those two deals were good deals, right? Great deals. They were expensive, but, but it's the Fox assets that, are, that put them in the hole, and it put that balance sheet into a terrible situation. So they have so yeah. much to fix on that front. So... Like I said, this is going to take time. And there were some analysts out there today, I think it was from UBS, who who said to buy the stock because the quarter is going to be good. Oh, come on. This is not. You're not owning the stock. Steph, I like you. You're owning it for a year, two years, three years maybe. But they do have the best brands in the world. So let me ask. Even Pelt said that. And it's very compelling to find something like that. Let me ask you this. A gem that is on sale, that is underperformed. And you have Iger is is no slouch. He's going to get it done. Could Pelts help him? Yes. So either way, I'm in it. I believe in it. And I think Uh, there's opportunity. I like your position. I'm asking you this question because I respect your view on this. I've owned the stock in the past. I've said this on the show in the past. I've owned Disney because Disney told me they were going for growth. Is this, do you own the stock because you believe they are ultimately going to be a growth company or is this a value play? Ultimately, but right now it's a value. There's no question about but it. It's 18 a restructuring months ago, you story. agree it was growth. Oh, yeah, I haven't owned this thing in forever. I mean, I got lucky in this in this position. I sold it for a, for a gain when I owned it. Well, but of course it was I haven't growth. been I haven't been in the name in, in many, many, it, in it's many years. It's growth now. It's it, not growth now. Right. That's my point. No, no, it's not growth now. It's a restructuring now. That's what's so compelling. It's pricing. They're going to fix the pricing. Was it traded 40 times? It's still very expensive. It's a 28 times forward. <laughs> it's very expensive. But you don't have the growth. But, to, what drove the so stock, though, was you, you subscriptions. Guys both, you both said the same thing to me about Nike and Starbucks. I'm not criticizing you. And both of those you. stocks are actually doing very, very well. I like these kinds of companies. This is growth Disney, at a reasonable if Disney price. Plus, if Disney Plus isn't growing at the same, we know it can, obviously. If okay. they if they don't grow at the same pace that they were growing and theme parks see some step back in consumer demand just because all of travel is going to have tough comps. 
in the second half of this year. Possibly. What then is the, the engine that, that moves no, the stock? Is, it is DTC for fixing that. It's costs. It's SG&A getting under control. Those are all restructuring kinds of things, right? Those that's, will be enough to drive the stock? I think so, okay. sure. And I think if you have China reopening, that's a big driver for parks. And they screwed up the pricing for parks to begin with, so everyone's confused. So yeah, yeah. there were so many mistakes that were made. So all he has to do is fix them. And I'm just saying that I think Pelt's can help him along that journey. All right. Coming up, a tale of two investment banks. Morgan Stanley rallying on its results today. Goldman is dropping big time after its worst earnings miss in a decade. The investment committee weighs in on both of those stocks. Plus, we have the latest letter now from David Einhorn's firm. He had a really good 2022. We're going to give you those details at some point during the rest of this hour because I want you to get the reasoning behind one of his best years, if not his best year ever. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Dow's down nearly 400 points, as you saw, and a big weight is right there at the top of your screen, down 8%. Goldman Sachs, worst earnings miss in a decade. So that's the big weight today. Let's just bring in Jim Leventhal right now. Uh, he owns the stock of what Jim Cramer calls today an unacceptable quarter, <laughs> quote unquote, nothing to like. Do you find anything to like? Very little. Uh, good way to start that. And you know that that graphic you just had up of Goldman versus Morgan Stanley it stands out like a like a broken thumb. Um, certainly, the board of directors sees that. And there's been a lot of you know. Look, there's some blood in the water as far as Mr. Solomon goes. Um, I don't think this is a death knell for him. I'm not suggesting that, but I would say that the problem here is expenses big expenses, and expenses are entirely in management's control. Management can't control the macro environment, you know, the deal calendar falling off a cliff, that sort of thing, but they can control expenses. And I would say with, you know, the amount of rumors that are out there, Mr. Solomon's really got a quarter to get this fixed because nobody, especially the board of directors, likes to see Morgan Stanley punching Goldman in the face like this. Man, one quarter to get it fixed? You, 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 got, you got Solomon on a shorter rope than... Uh than uh, you had from Boeing. 
Okay. Well, let's see if, if like Mr. Calhoun at Boeing, he can turn it around. And let me be clear. I want him to turn around. I'm a shareholder. You know, the question on a day like today is, what do you do? Do you sell the stock? I don't think so. And let me be clear about why. This stock is a great performer. You look at three, six months, 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, it outperforms the S&P 500 very, very nicely. So this is a bad quarter hey, in a bad environment and a bad, a bad sort of rumor mill for the CEO. You can't ignore that. He's got to fix it right now. But it's not something that damages just one quarter doesn't damage the overall franchise value. All right. Josh? Yeah, Jimmy, I wanted to ask you, the, the problem here seems to be a little bit execution, but also mix shift. Like they, yeah. they double and triple down on consumer banking, which is not a great business really for anyone, even in good times. And these are not good times. And then uh, they don't have the wealth management uh, chops that Morgan Stanley has. Morgan Stanley, uh, I think half their revenue came from wealth management this quarter. So Goldman is there, but they just don't play as well. Why is that going to change in one quarter? Well, so a couple of things, and those are fabulous points. First off, on the consumer lending, as I think you know, Josh, they're backing out of Marcus and the rest of the consumer lending platform. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. They haven't been good at it. It's not a core competency. To see almost a billion dollars of loan loss reserves from Goldman Sachs is is eye-popping. And, you know, I go back to 25 years ago when I worked there. That would not have been acceptable, believe me. But they're exiting that business, okay? So they shouldn't have been in it in the first place. They've made the decision. On the wealth management business, I will grant you, it is smaller than Morgan Stanley's, but that should be something that much as it cut frankly, for both firms uh, in the fourth quarter and in the whole year, it should recover nicely. It should be contributory to earnings if and as the markets improve. All right, Jimmy, thank you. I appreciate you joining us on Goldman Sachs. It's Jim Leventhal. Joey, um, Microsoft, um, Morgan Stanley. <laughs> Microsoft. <laughs> what do you think about I'm Microsoft? I'm going to hear about Microsoft. What do you think about Microsoft? <laughs> Forget Morgan Stanley. What about Microsoft? But Morgan Stanley's quarter is ex- <laughs> the exact reason why I've been advocating for this name for literally the last four years. The transformation, what the C-suite has done with the acquisitions, Eaton Vance, E-Trade, the focus on the wealth management business, it all is now being delivered in this quarter. I think it's important when you look at the asset management, the wealth management, and the investment banking community for the C-suite to know who they are. And this is a company that knows exactly who they are. Goldman Sachs has forgotten who they are. Goldman Sachs is one of the best if not They've the best. They've forgotten who they are. They are one of the best, mm. if not the best trading company there is. Yeah, but Joe. They've forgotten that. <laughs> Wait a minute. Morgan Stanley proactively made those acquisitions because they knew they needed to change the mix of the business Mm -hmm. to get a higher multiple, to be less um, focused on interest rates and net interest income focused, right? That's what Goldman is, right? They're all institutional securities. IPOs, capital markets. M&A, all that. That was going to be tough anyway this year. But Morgan Stanley has that, but they also have the wealth management. And Mm -hmm. this quarter today was the validation of the strategy that they put in place when they made those acquisitions a couple of years ago. And not only that, but I mean, you see some of these ratios, these, you know, I mean, like, look at the ROTCE is like 16%, right? I know, I know. I'm just saying, like, it's Goldman could have done the same thing that Morgan did, but they didn't. They they forgot who they are. Goldman made wealth management acquisitions. They just haven't panned out to the extent that they should have. They bought United Capital, which is one of the biggest RIAs in in the country, 
I think that's like already four or five years ago. Mm. Nobody's heard a peep out of it since. There was talk that Goldman was going to do an RIA platform, a custody platform on the brokerage side. I've been hearing that for seven years. Where is it? Why? So I think it's execu- I'm telling you, I think it's execution. It's it's like a hesitancy to go into the things that they would probably be good at, mm-hmm. like RIA. But then they're like full bore into let's do a credit card with Apple. And I almost think like it's like what's flashier, what's sexier, fintech. All right, let's do the fintech stuff. That probably looked and felt great in 20 and 21. But that's just not what's popping right now in the streets. Like, that's not what's hot right now. You sold, Joe, the XLF. I did. Why so? You're going to hate the answer, but I said it was for a trade when I bought it. I still like financial stuff. I still think it's one of the best sectors year to date. Okay. I'll be on my boat by myself. I like that. No, you're not on a boat by yourself. Um, My my sector is real estate for the the, uh, year for the stock summit. But I said this was a trade. Just want to ring the register on it. I have Bank of America. I have Morgan Stanley in my portfolio taking the 3% gain I have in the XLF. I think that's what 2023 is about. Generate a little alpha, trade around the market if you can, and move on. Okay. Up next, top trends and investor sentiment in the ETF space. The trading week starting off in the red. As you know, there we go. Dow's down about 378. Halftime is back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Bertha Coombs, and here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Top U.S. military officers meeting with their Ukrainian counterparts face-to-face for the first time. The group met at an undisclosed military base in southeastern Poland as Russia's war with Ukraine nears the one-year mark. Meetings underscore the growing ties between the two militaries at a critical time as the international community ramps up its military assistance to Ukraine. A failed New Mexico State House candidate was arrested following a string of shootings at the homes of local Democratic leaders. Republican Solomon Pena is accused of conspiring with and paying four men to carry out four shootings at the homes of two county commissioners and two state legislators. No one was injured in those shootings, fortunately. And the VA taking a step towards addressing the high rate of suicide among veterans. Starting today, all U.S. military veterans in suicidal crisis are eligible for free care at any VA or private facility. The VA already provides emergency suicide care, but with the new benefit, veterans will not have to pay any co-pays or out-of-pocket fees for their care. More than 18 million veterans in the U.S. may now be eligible. Scott? Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. All right, now to Pizani, uh, Bob Pisani with today's ETF Edge. Hey, Bob. 
Hey, Scotty. Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. ProShares is one of the top 10 ETF fund families with nearly $60 billion in assets under management. They manage the largest Bitcoin futures ETF. They manage a very large basket of ETFs that go long and short the S&P and the NASDAQ 100. And they manage a suite of dividend ETFs that attracted significant assets last year. Let's talk to the man in charge of the investments. That's Simeon Hyman. He's the global investment strategist for ProShares. You know, you had the most successful ETF of 2021, the Bitcoin futures ETF. You launched right at the top, November 2021, $65,000 Bitcoin. Then you probably had the least successful ETF of 2022, the Bitcoin futures ETF. What, what is now it's back again. What is the trading patterns in the futures ETF telling you so about very Bitcoin? Interestingly, Bob, last year we actually saw positive flows into Bitto. And I'll point to the importance of the belt and suspenders approach of using futures in that ETF wrapper. We've seen what's happened in the exchange in the exchange space. If you're trying to invest in Bitto through the exchanges, commingled assets, lots of stuff. Futures track spot Bitcoin really well. The CME futures market is is regulated by both the SEC and the CFTC. The counterparty risk is managed very well by by the clearinghouse itself. And then you put the ETF wrapper around it. Bitto is a very robust solution. And that's why we think we've seen folks use it as their tool to get Bitcoin exposure. And when I said least successful in 2020, I meant price decline among them, not amongst the assets. I'm always looking for the sunshine. But you were, when I had you on, when this went public, when you went public in October 2021 with the Bitcoin futures ETF, you said, this is the way to go. You have to own the futures because you don't worry about custody, you don't worry about money getting stolen. In light of what's happened, is your position vindicated, essentially? I, I, I should say so. And again, it's not... Forget malfeasance. You can never control for organizations that have something just bad happen. But even in the middle of last year, we saw the largest U.S. exchange tell us that your account may be commingled in the event of bankruptcy. Very quickly, we got to go. But you had two hugely successful ETFs in the last year that have been trading massive quantities, TQQQ, SQQQ. These are three times long and short the NASDAQ 100 every day. These are the two largest ETFs by volume that trade out there. Can we say anything about sentiment for tech so far this year? Because they are the biggest ETFs out there right now. What we know is these are tools that investors can use to enhance returns, hedge their portfolios, and target exposure with less capital at risk. What does the volume tell us? It tells us that investors believe these ETFs are performing exactly as designed. And again, these are the two biggest ETFs out there by volume on a daily basis in 2023. We're going to have much more coming up with Simeon on ETF Edge. That's at 3 p.m. Eastern time. He's going to be joined by Nate Girachi from the ETF store to discuss ProShare's hugely successful dividend ETFs, and they're even more successful ETFs that go long and short the S&P and the NASDAQ 100. Join us, etfedge.cnbc.com at 3 p.m. Halftime returns right after this. All right, we're back. Let's run through some calls today. All right, Steph, you're, you're up first because you just bought win last week, last Thursday. Mm-hmm. Price target gets bumped today to 130 from 115 CBRE. Reiterate buy rating, quote unquote, doubling down on win in 2023. Yeah, it was a crappy year last year for Win, even though they did have a comeback. But I like the liquidity. I like the free cash flow. This is a play on Macau turning. I know they have a lot of exposure in the U.S. That matters, too. But Macau turns, this stock will do much better. You want to take IBM also, which was added to the tactical outperform list at Evercore. Price target to 150 from 135. I think 
I think the headline is going to look good um, for, for IBM, and the bottom line will be helped by currency. I'm not sure people are going to pay for currency, but I do like what they're doing in terms of the cloud strategy and also the recurring revenue. So I still like this one. It's a pretty large position for me in my portfolio. Walmart, Joe. Mm. Top overweight idea, Morgan Stanley. They bring the price target down to 161 from 164 and significant three bucks. Big whoop. But um, top overweight idea, Morgan Stanley. Listen, there's a lot of overwhelming bullish consensus on this stock. You can include me in that. I own the stock. Uh, am I disappointed in the performance, in particular based on the environment of last year? Somewhat. This is a company, they've done the right things. They've managed the supply chain and the inventory, I think, better than others. Mm-hmm. They invested in the business. Certainly, we're seeing that reflected in strong grocery. So I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see the stock and margins lift and the appreciation of the stock. A little bit disappointed, but I'm going to maintain my position. Ah, coming up, we'll discuss that new investor letter from Greenlight's David Einhorn. That's coming up. Plus, keep sending us your recent trades. We're going to grade your trade coming up. You can email us, askhalftime at CNBC.com. Tweet us. Use the hashtag GradeMyTrade. We'll be right back. that new letter from David Einhorn's Greenlight Capital out today to his investors. 36.6% net of fees, Steph, is what uh, they returned, one of, if not the best year ever, uh, because the speculative bubble popped, right? He had always talked about this bubble basket uh, that made no sense to him. Um, unfortunately, right, the, the power of Fed liquidity mm. uh, can be humbling, right? When you're against the tide, uh, regardless of whether you think you're right or not, um, value worked. The long book was profitable there. Shorts contributed to 30% of their performance. They wow. delivered 51 points of alpha. That's awesome. A lot. You talk about delivering alpha. David Einhorn should be at delivering alpha next year to talk about how they delivered 51 points of alpha because that's massive. And Twitter. Twitter was the third largest contributor of performance, right? They did it as an ARB play, remember? They yeah. bought it saying, you know, 5420 is going to be the price. They bet that Musk was going to have to go with his initial go with his initial offer and they were right. Yeah, so I mean value was spot on. That was great. And the bubble talk to your point was not just like a short-term call. I mean he's been talking about a bubble for a long time, a right. couple of years. So kudos to him for sticking with it, right? And it really helping. Um, and of course the shorts. I mean I don't know what he what he was short, but clearly that that uh, that combination was obviously very powerful. But I think the bubble comments, Harry, and, and sticking with that is the most impressive. Self-deprecating a, a bit, too, in the, yeah. in the letter, Joe. Um, never as smart as your best year, never as dumb as your worst. Mm. I'm paraphrasing, but that was the gist of what he wrote uh, there as well. And they have a new position as of the fourth quarter. It seems like their newest position or at least one of the newest that they're revealing publicly through the letter is Tenet Healthcare. Mm-hmm. What do we think here, guys? Well, first of all, what I think is congratulations to David. He took a lot of incoming over the last several years. Oh, of he did. Performance, mm-hmm. And it's actually good to see, celebrate other success. And I think that's what you should do in this case. Look at his performance, be happy, be glad for him. Um, tenant Health, I don't know if you have anything very cheap on valuation basis. Stock that's been under significant decline. So he's obviously looking for the value story here in healthcare. Um, so... You don't seem to be a Q4 buy. Uh, we're watching it on the screen there. It's up uh, better than 2% today. Josh, healthcare is an area that still you got a lot of love around. Yeah, but this is hospitals. Hospitals are like the airlines of uh, healthcare. Like, <laughs> this, is, this stock is trading at the same price it was trading in 1991. So I, I don't know what his, like, why he's buying it or what he said. I'll have to read it. 
But broadly speaking, I would agree with what Joe and Stephanie said. Like, this is a guy that made it when a lot of his contemporaries threw in the towel. Think about how many value managers said, you know what, Your Honor, I plead family office. <laughs> it was just like, I'm all, I'm all set. I'm going to go manage my own money, uh, maybe get a new girlfriend. Like, that was like a, a much easier route to take. Uh, David stuck it out, and he's got LPs that have been with him for a long time, and they didn't lose their faith in him, and now they've been rewarded. So I like stories like this, and uh, I think it's pretty cool. All right, he characterized that new position as a, a medium-sized long position in uh, tenant healthcare mm. during the fourth okay. quarter. All right, Grade My Trade is up next. Still time to send us an email. Ask Halftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us. We're back after this. All right, let's grade some trades. Josh, you are up first. Darren, been buying Uber since the high teens and low 20s. Mm. What do we think? So I can only speak to my own position in Uber, but like if I told you there's a company out there um, that right now is trading two times sales and the industry average is 5.7 times sales and the three-year median for this company was 4.7 times sales. So it's like half or less the valuation that it normally has and earnings per share growth this year, calendar year, should be 93%. If I, if I laid that out for you, you'd probably be like, well, that sounds like a buy. I think it is. That's the case with Uber. Almost nobody is talking about this stock. It's got now higher lows. Uh, I think it double bottomed over the summer and fall. And I'm in this name. I've been in it for a while. I think it's going a lot higher. Okay. Steph, you, David in Wisconsin says, bought 28 shares of the Berkshire B. Shares 262 on September 27th of last year. What do you think? I like this trade a lot. I own it. A very big position for me. Um, you get a little bit of everything from this story in rails and pipelines and energy and Apple. And I like that diversification. They have $100 billion in cash and the best managers in the, in, in the business. So I like this one. Joe, you st- I mean, Josh, you still own the, the Berkshire uh, B too. I am ride or die Berkshire B. Yeah, I know you are. (laughs) All right, uh, Joey. Uh, Bob wants to know about Activision Blizzard, uh, which you own in the Joe T. Bought 300 shares at $72.19 on November 3rd. Okay, 75.50 right now. Um, Understand we also own Electronic Arts. Electronic Arts you're owning for the balance sheet. Activism is more of a momentum play. So, Bob, what I want you to do is please do not turn this into a losing trade. Make sure you put a stop above your entry price. All right. Thank you. Thanks for the trades. Thank you guys for the grades. Keep them coming. Email us, askhalftime at CNBC.com or tweet us. We'll do final trades next. I'll see you on overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern. SoFi's Liz Young joining today. Also, Canner's Eric Johnston. He's been really negative stocks of late. Last couple times we've spoken, he's been looking for a big downturn. Is it time to be less negative for him? We'll ask him. United Earnings also out, so we'll have those latest numbers, too. Let's do final trades. Stephanie Link, start us off. So the FXI, China reopening, consumer confidence returning, and GDP bottoming. That's what I'm expecting for this year. Okay, thank you. Joey T. Put up on your trading screen, GLW, that's Corning. If it gets a pullback into the low 30s, you want to be a buyer there. Oh, you've been looking at that for a while, right? Put it in, Joe T. 
Okay, yeah, well, I remember we talked about that. Uh, Josh Brown, downtown Josh. Are they still call you downtown Josh Brown? Everybody does. All right. Let's do uh, it. Next era, Energy, NEE. This stock has been green all day. It's so close to a breakout. I think $90 is the trigger. It struggled in that area a couple of times, but the more times it attempts, the more likely you're going to finally get that move higher. So I, I would keep an eye on this name. All right. So we're going to keep our eye on the markets for sure. Dow is now down about 380. Goldman, obviously, a big weight there. We'll see how things finish up when I see you in OT. Exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.